This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We're, uh, we've been speaking for several weeks on the subject of righteousness. And I thought I was through with it last week, but I'm not. It seems that the Lord, well, there's just some things about this that He won't let me get away from. So we want to share some things that we've already looked at, maybe go a little bit further today, and some things that we haven't spoken about. But um, we started in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 14. God is speaking to his people about that which is to come. And he said, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. And from terror, far from terror as well, for it shall not come nigh thee. Verse 14, he goes on to say, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I'm going to also read from Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 and verse 21. It says, For if or since by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to read next from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 and 21, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Verse 21, For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Finally, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, I want you to notice some things about this. Notice over and over again, it speaks of righteousness as being a means of victory. There is no indication in Scripture whatsoever that God wants us to be saved, come into his family, and suffer defeat at the hands of the enemy until we die and go to heaven. It's just not there. There is no place in Scripture that provides for those who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus to just hold out to the end, suffering affliction after affliction after affliction, knowing that someday when we get to heaven, it'll be better. Now, I know those are church doctrines. I know that's the way the modern-day church preaches a lot of times. But it just doesn't line up with what the Bible says. The Bible speaks of victory coming as a result of being made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Over and over and over again. Now the Hebrew word that's translated righteousness is pretty much the same thing as the Greek word for righteousness in the New Testament. They both mean equity. But more specifically, and the, and the Old Testament Hebrew is a little bit more descriptive of this than the... Uh, the New Testament Greek, but still it's virtually the same meaning. But the Hebrew word for righteousness means rightness. Rightness. It goes further in Strong's Concordance to describe or define this word that's uh, translated from the Hebrew into the English. 
in the Old Testament is righteousness. It speaks of moral virtue or power. But then it goes further and it speaks of prosperity. Now, in both Old Testament and New Testament words that are used, even though the Hebrew is a little bit more descriptive than the the Greek is, in both cases, it identifies, or maybe I should say implies, a restoration. It literally means this. When things are right, this is the way it is. When things are right, there's abundance. When things are right, there's prosperity. When things are right, there's victory in every area. When things are right, the people of God are free from the power of the devil. Well, we certainly know that's the way God made the earth in the beginning. God made the earth in six days, looked around and said, it's perfect and rested on the seventh day. There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. He put it in the hands of man to exercise dominion over it. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing that could hurt man. There was nothing that was a temptation to man at that point. There was no opportunity whatsoever for sin to have any place until the devil comes on the scene and deceives Eve and Adam joins her. I've often wondered about that. Adam was not deceived. He knew what was going on. He knew to some degree, we don't know exactly what degree, but he knew to some degree that things would change in the earth by disobedience to God. Otherwise, he would have been deceived. I can't figure out for the life of me what the devil said to Adam in the Garden of Eden that caused him to follow Eve into sin. Unless he asked him, do you know about bacon? (laughs) This fruit of the tree stuff gets old after a while. But there's a thing called bacon. Now, of course, you know I'm kidding. But it was only after the fall of man that sin entered the scene, came upon the scene. It was only after the fall that spiritual death began to reign. Man was separated from God, and death began to reign. But when things were right, man was the one that was in charge and with authority. When things were right, man was operating according to the will of God here on the earth. Now think about this, folks, for a minute. The Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of God. The earth was the kingdom of God in the beginning. Since there was no sin, there was no presence of sin, there was no operation of sin before the fall, Adam and Eve operated here on the earth according to God's perfect will because they were of his nature. They were made in the nature, the image and the likeness of God according to God's nature, which has to be righteous because God is righteous. God is holy. So Adam and Eve didn't have to check with God every morning about how to handle this situation or that situation. They acted according to the source of their life. They acted according to the life of God that was within them. They acted according to the righteous nature that they had been created unto. Think about it like this. Let's say that there's a family business and the father has put a lot of work and a lot of effort for many years into the family business and made it successful. And then he turns it over to his son. 
Now, what is the expectation for the son as the new one in charge of the family business? Well, everybody included, or everybody involved, including the, uh, the customers, as well as the rest of the family, would expect the son to continue along the successful path of the father. But let's say the son pulls in another partner into the business. Another partner buys in, and he's not a good guy. And this new partner runs the business into the ground. What hope is there for that business unless the son or somebody comes back in and restores it to the principles that the father used to make it successful? I know that's not a good illustration that, follow, that fits and follows in every aspect, but that's basically what Jesus did. Jesus came to make things right. Jesus came to put things back on track according to the successful manner that his father had created the earth. The Bible talks about, we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talks about if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And then for the next several verses, it talks about man being reconciled unto God. The word reconciled and reconciliation, the word reconciled in any form that I've found in the New Testament, means a mutual exchange means something was exchanged for something else. And then verse 21 culminates the, the uh, exchange to tell us what was done. Jesus exchanged his life for our death. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me, or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now I want you to look, with something, look at something else with me here. I want you to turn with, with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 25. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body or what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now, folks, I, I know he's speaking specifically of food and clothes here, but I think these are representative terms that apply to anything and everything we buy, anything and everything that we need to buy for our lives. And in that respect, I think he's saying, don't worry about money or what the money can buy you. Now, is there anything that people are more concerned about in this earthly life than money and the things that we need? And I don't mean it in a critical way. I don't mean it in an evil way. I'm not talking about people trying to access money to, to harm other people. I'm just talking about money to live and money to provide for themselves and their families. That's a good thing, isn't it? to have a desire to provide for our families? Well, it must be a good thing because God provided for us. 
to the ultimate degree in the Garden of Eden. He provided for his children. So when Jesus is talking, he's basically saying, don't waste your time thinking about money. Now, if the church ever started operating like that, that would change everything about them. Because if you take away the time that people, Christians worldwide, not only in this age, but in every other age, if you take away the time that the, that the world, saved or unsaved, puts into thinking about money, we'd have a whole life available to us. Half of our time would be given back to us. Yet Jesus says, don't spend your time thinking about money. Now, why in the world would he say that? Because when things were right, man had no care or concern for money or things. Jesus came to make things right. Therefore, take, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or how can we pay these bills, or whatever else the situation arises? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, in light of the things that we've just said about the Hebrew words for righteousness, as well as the Greek, in light of that, Jesus is literally telling us it's futile to worry about money. The earth was designed to produce for you. It's the way God made it. And Jesus, having reconciled us unto God or made things right once again for those that accept him, Jesus as the Lord and Savior, he's saying the earth will produce for you. The earth will provide for you. God set it in motion from the beginning and nothing the devil can do or ever has done can change that. The earth will provide. Now when it says seek first the kingdom of God, what does that mean? Sounds good. But how many of us are convinced that we're really seeking the kingdom of God? That's one of those things where the devil could come to you and say, well, you're not living right enough. You're not worthy. You're not in a position to be able to have what the Bible says because you don't live up to its measure or its standard. It's an opportunity, a good opportunity for the devil to bring condemnation on us in just about every area of our lives. But Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, he sent the disciples out to preach the kingdom of God. It came as a real shock to me to realize that Jesus did not send his disciples out to tell people that he, Jesus, was the Messiah. 
we get so focused in the modern day that we live in that the job of the church is to preach Jesus. That I guess, I don't know what everybody else's attitude was, but I guess I just assumed that they went out telling everybody that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and doing miracles, and he said we could do miracles too, so they did. But that's not the case. It couldn't be the case. Because in Mark chapter 16, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? They came back and responded, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he said, who do you say I am? Now, if the disciples had been taught and instructed to preach that Jesus was the Messiah, their immediate answer would have been, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the one you told us you were. But that's not what they said. And if Jesus had commissioned them to go and preach that he was the Christ or that he was the Messiah, come to save the world, then he wouldn't have asked, who do you say I am? Been no reason for that whatsoever. Peter answers on behalf of the rest of them, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, flesh and blood has not showed this to you. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not showed this to you. But my father, which is in heaven, which means Jesus is not the one that told him. If Jesus had instructed them and, and convinced them that he was the Christ and that he was the Messiah, then flesh and blood would have revealed it to him. So what is this kingdom of God stuff? If it's not that Jesus is the Messiah, what did they preach? What were they commissioned to preach? Well, the, the only thing that gives us any definition of the kingdom of God whatsoever. Now, we know basically what the kingdom of God would have to be because we understand the words themselves. Kingdom would be territory. And the kingdom of God would be descriptive of the territory under God's rule or, uh, or reign. Which when, in the beginning was the whole earth. But then the fall separated man from God. So what is this kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, obviously, is where God rules and reigns. Jesus responded by giving the disciples what's known in the church circles as the Lord's Prayer. It really wasn't the Lord's Prayer. It was the disciples' prayer. And it was for a period of time to end with the church age. But part of it was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the only definition that Jesus ever gave us in any form whatsoever about what the kingdom of God would be, he gives us some descriptive terms along the way saying that healing is part of the kingdom of God and such and so forth but the closest thing we've got to a definition comes from Jesus where he defines the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven well that would certainly have to fit if God's in rule in control or reigning over any area of this earth then his will would have to be done and his will would be accomplished in earth just like it is in heaven so the definition fits but when you think of it in those terms, it answers a lot of questions or should answer a lot of questions for a lot of people because nobody has any doubt about how things are in heaven. We don't have a whole lot of knowledge about how a lot of things are, but we know that the will of God is done in heaven. We know there's nothing that can hurt man in heaven, just like God created the earth in the beginning as a place where nothing could hurt man. We know there's no sickness or disease in heaven. So if the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in us or through us or on our behalf, 
then it'd be a place that's free from sickness and disease here too. It'd be a place where all the attributes and characteristics of God, the peace of God, for example, the life of God would rule here on the earth just like it does in heaven, right? So when the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, then we have to understand, we have to conclude, I believe, that seeking after righteousness is seeking after the understanding of who we are in Christ and our ability to stand before him without a sense of guilt or shame. What else could it be? So he says, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God where the will of God is done on the earth in your life just like it is in heaven. And his righteousness, the foundation for victory in every area that we experience here on this earth as a part of this natural life. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now turn back with me to Psalm 84. I want you to see something here. Psalm 84, notice verse 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. The last part of the verse is what I want you to see. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So what does walk uprightly mean? No good thing will he withhold them that walk uprightly. Jesus has just said in Matthew chapter 6 that we read that all these things... The money you need, the provision you need, the clothes you need, the food you need, the bills paid that you need, and so forth. All these things will be added to you if we get, put things in the right perspective. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then God will add all those things to us. Here it says no good thing. Money's a thing. No good thing will he withhold to them that walk uprightly. Now, folks, I would submit to you if, if the psalmist is inspired by the Holy Ghost to say words that mean no good thing will he withhold from them that do everything perfect and never miss it. Then we've got a lot of other pages to tear out of the Bible and scriptures to do away with. Because there's no place, Old Testament or New Testament, where the Bible tells us that our ability, success to avoid any sin in our lives is the way to God. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over again both Old Testament and New Testament, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham offered enough sacrifices and God counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham resisted enough temptations so that it was counted unto him as righteousness. No, the Bible says there's faith that pleased God. It was faith that caused Abraham to be counted righteous. This was Paul's message. Paul's message was it's not about keeping the law. It's not about what you do. It's not about living right in that context or in that sense. It's about receiving the free gift of righteousness and being made in the image of God, recreated in the image and likeness of God. So walking uprightly then would have to be an act of faith or the result of faith and not good works no good thing will he our heavenly father no good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly to walk uprightly is to do what the Bible says we're supposed to do 
And it says it again and again and again that the just shall live by faith. The Bible doesn't say the just shall live by good works. The Bible doesn't say the, the just or those who have been made righteous will earn a place with God through the things that they do or the things that they don't do, but that they shall live by faith. So walking upright, they would have to be walking by faith. It's the only thing that pleases God. Walking uprightly would have to be walking in the word. Letting the word dominate your life. Letting the word be your guide. Walking uprightly, according to the New Testament commandment, the new commandment of the New Testament, would have to be to walk in love and to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That's what John said the commandment was. So that has to be what walking uprightly means, doesn't it? No good thing will he withhold to them that walk uprightly. Now compare that with what we just read over in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6 about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is literally telling them, and if he's telling them, he's telling us too. He's literally saying, don't waste your time worrying about how things turn out. Don't waste your time thinking about whether or not you're going to have enough. Don't waste your time thinking about how to pay the bills or the money you need to buy something. Don't waste your time thinking about that, Jesus said. Now, Jesus said that. If it was in one of the letters to, written to the churches, we might have a chance to blow that off a little bit easier. But Jesus said that. He said, don't waste your time. Take no thought, therefore, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Don't waste your time thinking or worrying about it. And for goodness sakes, don't speak it. Take no thought, saying and why would that be important? Because faith is of the heart and confession is made with the mouth. So walking uprightly would have to be to accept the word of God, whatever the word of God says concerning us or our situations, believing the word and acting on it accordingly, believing the word and confessing it with our mouths. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he prayed for them a similar prayer. There was a little bit of difference in the one that he prayed for the Ephesians and the one that he prayed for Colossians. But part of the Colossian prayer that he prayed, he said, I pray that God would enable you to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. What is walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? When I first saw that phrase 35 years ago, maybe longer, well, yeah, it would be longer. Anyway, when I first saw that phrase, the first thing I thought was, I've got to live right. God wants me to live right. Well, he does, but that's not what he's talking about. A better way to approach this would be to say, God wants me to live by faith. God wants me to live by the word. Because that's what walking uprightly has to be. It can't be behavior. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this, folks. Living right, which the church majors on in so many areas. Living right is living by faith. James 1.22 tells us to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. It's when we put the word of God in practice and act on what God said to do, that's when the blessings of God become real in our lives. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. See, folks, our relationship with God as children of His 
is not a thousand different things. It's one thing that shows up in a thousand different ways. Concerning them, it's not about keeping the law of Moses. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.